think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast Season 14, Episode 73. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Welcome back to this Monday episode and a victory Monday for the playoff-bound Pittsburgh Steelers. Welcome to Wild Card Weekend. That's on the schedule for Pittsburgh. We did not know until Sunday, but fortunately did not, did not have to wait until Sunday night to know if Pittsburgh would be in the playoffs, though it took that long for Pittsburgh to know who and when they were playing. They will take on the Buffalo Bills at Buffalo Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on CBS for the wild card round. Pittsburgh beating Baltimore 17 to 10 over the weekend, finishing 10 and 7 on the season. How about the, how about these Steelers? Dave? I can't even think of a good intro. Just how about these Steelers, Dave? I'll give you a good one. This comes courtesy from a request from uh, Fred Folsom in the email machine. Playoffs. <laughs> Talk about playoffs. Uh, he wanted. He says, uh, uh, "I want to hear you start the podcast with your version of Jim Moore's playoffs." Uh, so there you go, Fred. We're gonna get a uh, get a uh, reader request right out or listener request out of the way uh, early there. Uh, look, uh, I think roll all the way back to uh, preseason. There, I think I had him going what eleven and six and getting in. I think you had him going. Uh, 10 and seven and getting in. Uh, that's not to say that we should uh, be patted on the back though, because no way, no how, no whatever would I have uh, envisioned the way that they got to where they are uh, right now. Uh, nobody could have convinced me uh, and, and, and drawn this thing out. Uh, the way this season has gone, and especially with you know Mason Rudolph being the quarterback to uh, to end the season in the final three games, and uh, we did talk though that the path to uh, the playoffs would likely go in division. Have to see this team uh, have a strong division record, uh, which they did uh, uh, overall. There, boy, what a shame it would have been for them not to make the playoffs. Uh, doing what they did uh, uh, within the division there. Uh, I think this, uh, I mean, like it or not, several people probably don't want to hear this, but uh, I think a testament to uh, uh, Mike Tomlin in, in, in getting this team to where they are because a lot of these wins weren't pretty, but they were what? They were wins, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, uh, years from now, will we ever remember, you know, uh, how a few of those wins looked overall. So uh, kudos to him. And look, uh, with, with that said, had they gone uh, 10 and seven and missed the playoffs, there would have been criticism 
uh, and deservingly so. Man, you know, you, yeah, you go through those three games against the Cardinals, the Patriots, and the Colts, and you know, you just win one of those uh, three. You know, it, it, it puts you in the playoffs. It, it, you know, in those scenarios, there the way things worked out. Of course, you don't know that as at, at the time when you're going through it. So uh, here we are. We said uh, at the start of the season that that we thought this team was built to or, or for it to be a successful team that this team needed to make the playoffs and win a playoff game. Well, they've got half of that out of the way. Uh, now with making the playoffs, once again, not the way that you'd probably draw this thing out. Definitely not the way that you draw this out. And now we, uh, now the second part of that is to get a playoff win, and it won't be an easy task going on the road in the cold uh, and playing a very hot team in the Buffalo Bills. And almost certainly doing so without T.J. Watt. The cost of the you know, chance for the playoffs will what, come. What did it cost you? And that's what I was thinking, <laughs> too. Everything. It cost everything. And T.J. Watt with a knee injury he suffered. We'll talk about that more throughout the show, of course. A grade 2 MCL sprain. Uh, Ian Rappaport saying it'd be two weeks best case scenario for TJ Watt. So I still won't 100% count him out for this wildcard game, as crazy as that sounds, just given that he's got that Watt DNA until either Tomlin or TJ Watt himself says that he has no chance to play this weekend. But obviously the odds are very remote, remote and even uh, if he did under some crazy circumstance, it'd be you know very limited snaps overall. So how did Pittsburgh get here? Again, beating Baltimore 17 to 10 over the weekend that gave them the greatest number of paths to get into the playoffs with the win over the Ravens. They needed either the Jaguars to lose to the Titans or the Bills to lose to the Dolphins. The Bills beat the Dolphins, of course, but the Tennessee Titans beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 28 to 20. That eliminated Jacksonville that put Pittsburgh into the postseason. So a very hearty thank you to Ryan Tannehill, Mike Rabel, the former Steeler, and Tennessee for that win over the Jacksonville Jaguars. That terrible towel jumped in the boat with them, and they jumped out of it, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> the curse lives on. Uh, uh, jumped up and bit me. Uh, you're, you're not a Forrest Gump fan. Have you ever watched Forrest Gump before? I have, but not enough to get that particular okay. or obscure uh, reference. Uh, you need to sit down over the all season. That's another movie to add to the list there. Watch Forrest Gump there. You know, a lot of that was filmed in Savannah, Georgia. And mm. uh, we, we, of course, uh, lived in Savannah for two years. And uh, in anyway, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, look, uh, Mike Vrabel had me wanting to run through a wall earlier in the week, him talking about you know, uh, getting ready for this last game and what it means to, to win, even though they were out of it. And, uh, look, there's no better feeling and kudos to the NFL, the way they have this, you can say a lot of, you can get on the NFL on for a lot of things, uh, uh, forcing Peacock down people's throats would be one of them. I think, uh, one of several things there, but man, the fact that they end every, every season with divisional games, uh, that that's something I hope they never get away from for, for obvious reasons there. And then, uh, you know, part of that being, well, uh, one of those two teams that, that end up facing that play play within a division usually is out of it. And they would love nothing more than to uh, jump up and, and beat, beat a team in their own division to keep them out of the playoffs. 
And uh, but kudos to Mike Vrabel for having that team uh, re ready to go. And and he certainly did that. And, you know, the Jaguars ended up having Trevor Lawrence play, but they still couldn't get it done there. So the Steelers got the necessary help. I had a feeling deep down the side that so, you know, something was going to happen. I told my wife going into the weekend, I said, they're going to get in. They're going to get in. They're going to find a way to get in. I didn't know exactly how, but uh, they're in. And, well, you know, got to get – you can't make noise in the tournament unless you get in the tournament. And they're in the tournament now. You might say it's football justice for Pittsburgh to get in with this three-game winning streak to end the season, needing the help, and then getting the help that they did not get in last year's comeback bid for the playoffs. Let's start here with this Ravens game, Dave. It already feels like it happened a week ago and all the attention has turned to Buffalo, obviously Baltimore resting many of their key starters, including Lamar Jackson, Marlon Humphrey, Roquan Smith, etc. Still a, a good win for Pittsburgh. I'm not going to downgrade it because of the, you know, backup situation Baltimore was in. And yeah, it wasn't the prettiest game, but listen, when you're in Baltimore, when it's the driving rainstorm that it was, all the conditions, the elements, just get a win however you can. That's all that matters in the game that Pittsburgh uh, ultimately needed to win. And so I'm just happy about that aspect. The run game continued to to do well. Defensively, they made enough splash. It was at times a sloppy game. It was not their most pristine performance compared to the Bengals game, the Seahawks game. But again, when it's Pittsburgh-Baltimore, just win, baby. Yeah, uh, and you had a sense that there's going to be some level of ugliness to it. There always is when these two teams get it. Before it, before it gets too far out of my mind, look, squirrel. Uh, <laughs> uh, I thought about this before we got on the show. Uh, the Steelers are obviously the, have the longest odds of all the teams in the playoffs here to win the Super Bowl. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and they're pretty, they're, they're, they're pretty out there as, you know, as far as long odds go as well too. Uh, what is it? Something like, uh, what, what did I say last night? It was, I think initially 150 to one, I think it bumped up to 120 to one after okay. the actual games got announced. Okay. Uh, where I'm going with this is five, five years from now, uh, or 10 years from now when, uh, when, when Trevor Krizora is, oh, is asking his father, uh, why, did the Steelers have the longest odds to win the Super Bowl back after, you know, uh, for the, for the 2023 season, how would you answer that question? Why, why were the Steelers the longest odds of all the playoff teams uh, that season? How would you answer uh, that? I will say Trevor, Go ask your mother. I'm not talking about this. That's what I'll say. No, I mean, I mean, we all understand why. I mean, for a team that looked just dead three weeks ago, seven and seven, you know, losing to a pair of two of 10 teams and getting blown up by the Colts. And obviously the quarterback change really spurred things on with really no other move left to make to turn to Mason Rudolph and for him to provide a spark and for the defense to settle in a little bit. Um, you know, it's a team that, you know, just trying to find it. They found their identity to some degree. I, I guess maybe the question is, you know, can they prevent enough big plays with the defensive injuries? Can they still, you know, put up enough points? Obviously, it's been much more successful under Mason Rudolph, but, you know, how quality is that passing game? And then being the seventh seed, having to go on the road for all of these games, that's, that's guaranteed no chance of a home game, those types of things. 
Um, it really comes down to probably quarterback play. I mean, Mason Rudolph has been the best quarterback that Pittsburgh has had the past two years, but you're facing Josh Allen. And then if you win this one, you're going to Baltimore and facing Lamar Jackson. And the odds makers look at that and say, okay, if it's Josh Allen versus Mason Rudolph, or if it's Mason Rudolph versus Lamar Jackson, all that kind of stuff, that the odds and that path is going to be difficult. All right. But, you know, as far as recency bias goes, uh, you know, the last three weeks, I mean, the quarterback position, I don't want to say it's, you know, top in the league by any sense. It's stabilized quite effectively, though, right? Sure. I'm just making the case of why the odds are sure. what they are. I mean, obviously. And then what plays a big part yeah. in that. But, I mean, uh, teams have survived injuries to best defensive players. You know, now <laughs> that's like having three players uh, in, 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 in one there. So there is that element of degree with, uh, okay, well, the, you know, the quarterback or the offense still is not juggernaut status. So it does help having someone on the other side of the football that you that you know on any given snap can can change a game and and, and you know, I would I would think that that's a big look. I'm not saying that the Steelers are underrated here, but I I I, I would I would I would at least think that. And look, I mean, they're they're I haven't checked it this morning. They were when I went to bed, I think like 10 point underdogs to Buffalo, you know, but mm-hmm. I, I do think that Mike Tomlin will use that to his advantage throughout the week. So, man, man, nobody think you guys can win this game. And you're talking about a game that sets up to be nasty weather and snow and wind. And to me, that's that's advantage Pittsburgh. You know, uh, especially the way they're running the ball right now. But I, I just it, it ran through my head this morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you best describe why the Steelers are such the long odds they are of all the playoff teams? Well, to your point, what is Pittsburgh's record without TJ Watt in the lineup? Yeah, they it's like one never in ten win. or one in eleven or something like that, right? Yeah, they don't win when TJ Watt does not play, and it does not appear he will play against Buffalo. So that's where things start, but. I'm not focused on the odds too much. I mean, Buffalo, the favorite, rightfully so. They're red hot, as hot as any team in football right now. But I think, you know, Pittsburgh's got a chance in this one just because of the flighty nature of Josh Allen. Buffalo, they can be really hot. They can be really cold. The turnover proneness of that Buffalo team for a Steelers defense that is still capable and able to, to create takeaways, even without TJ Watt. You know, we'll, we'll, we obviously have the whole week to discuss it, but, you know, they, they got a shot here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the uh, the the any any given Sunday aspect of it too. And plus, you know, right now that this team is running the football well, and uh, they did obviously turn the football over a couple times, you know, uh, 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 against the Ravens there, and and that's something that you're probably definitely not going to be able to do, uh, especially if it gives Buffalo a short field. But uh, uh, I think these odds will decrease a little bit as the week goes on. Yeah, we'll see. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll have, again, a lot of time to discuss it. So from this Ravens game, your takeaways, obviously the elements played a big factor and partly why Pittsburgh fumbled the ball six times in this one. It was uh, as messy as the stats indicate. Um, what are your takeaways here from this win over the Ravens? 
I thought uh, Najee Harris kind of put it best after the game when he talked about, you know, we just wanted to come out and, and, and be as physical as possible so that Baltimore would get in a place where they said, look, this ain't this ain't worth it. Get get because th- they still had to suit up X amount of players, you, you know, uh, regardless of how many players that you that you want to sit, uh, you still have to suit up X amount of players. And of those players that you do suit up and try to play, you would probably like to try to get a few of them out of the game sooner rather than later. Uh, I do. I, I there was that nature of uh, uh, physicality on the Steelers' offensive side of football, particularly their 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 offense and offensive line and tight ends for that matter. That that showed me that they knew what was at stake here and they wanted to try. Uh, they didn't care who was across them, who played, who didn't play. Uh, there was a level of physicality that they did want to show uh, in, in, in this game specifically on offense. And I, I thought as a whole, uh, they showed that now the negative play aspects of we've talked about several times ended up biting them in the butt uh, quite a few times in this game, most notably with the balls that got away from them, man, two fumbles in this game came at the Baltimore the play start, I think, at what I write, the the 33-yard line, right? So there's at least six points potential that you're giving away right there. You know, that 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 makes it uh, uh, a lot or, or, or at least feel like it would have been a lot uh, less closer game in that aspect there. Uh, especially, man, you hate the – what a deflating thing to go into halftime the way that they went into halftime. Uh, there where it looks like, man, for sure, they're going to get some sort of, uh, points, points in this situation, but, uh, the running game, uh, definitely. And look, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't rocket science, right? Split zone, uh, power and some duo, you know, some of the things that they, they, they obviously core basic run principles and things that we've seen them, uh, get better at as, as the year, uh, went on there. I thought they did that well, uh, aspect, uh, 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 of the running game and the passing game. And I'm sure the elements, you know, played a part in this to some degree, but it, it, it obviously wasn't a downfield game. Uh, the Ravens did a good job of making sure to try to take away George Pickens. Uh, it was a more controlled, shorter passing game, but it was sprayed out a little bit more. Uh, and, you know, the big play, obviously, to to Deontay Johnson was it was a game changer. I think during the broadcast, one of the announcers mentioned Mike Tomlin's plan to win basically every and any Steelers Ravens game of keep it close, keep it close, hit the big play late, and then have your pass rush close things out. And that's essentially how this game played out. Given the elements and given the personality of Pittsburgh running the ball 39 times in this one, they've they run the ball 85 times the last two weeks. You talk about just kind of an old school brand of football. Najee Harris really carrying that load, especially in this game where Jalen Warren had more ball security issues than Harris did. And so you really leaned into him to try to grind these games out and and close out games. They did that against Seattle. They did that against Baltimore in this one. And then, of course, Mason Rudolph, who was not tasked to do too much in this game because of the run game, you know, its overall success. And again, just the elements of what they were dealing with with the rain. He was so smart with the football in terms of, you know, passing it. And then hitting that one big play, that one big play is all you need in those close Steelers-Ravens games. 
a great yak opportunity throw to Deontay Johnson, who did the rest 71 yards for Pittsburgh to, to finally get some margin in this one. And so that was uh, the difference in this one. I just thought Pittsburgh, you know, has their identity in terms of that personality of running the ball and then finding those big plays in the passing game and then closing things out with their defense. Yeah, look, and props to Najee. He uh, he ran hard again, good yards after contact, and uh, was the more dependable when it when it came to ball security. Although the first snap of the game had you mm-hmm. hold, or first few of them really had you holding the hold, hold, holding your breath there when it came to uh, bobbling the football there. But they uh, uh, and then you know the Jalen Warren fumble over there to 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 you know, on, on the right sideline over there, uh, as well, man, if you would have told me that George Pickens, you know, didn't even have a target in this game and look, I understand what, what, what Baltimore was trying to do. And I understand, you know, not wanting to make stupid decisions. And, and here's another thing, uh, kudos to, uh, at least to hear Mason Rudolph talk. And, and I, I think it was kind of evident on the sideline, a couple of shots as well, too. Uh, we talked about George. Man, I, was, I was sitting there worrying, man, is, 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 is George going to go through one of his uh, spells there? But I never, never saw that. Mason Rudolph praised uh, Pickens after the game. Uh, I think he understood that w- what they were trying to do to him. And then even after the Deontay Johnson touchdown uh, this time, uh, George is over there kind of hamming it up with uh, Deontay. And and we saw kind of the exact opposite of that earlier in the season, right? Where right. Jo- George is over there pouting. So I think, you know, maybe whatever message Mike Tomlin tried to get to to George Pickens, at least uh, at least for, for that game or at least the last couple of games seems to have gotten uh, through. Unfortunately, there's going to be when you're that good and can make freaky type plays like George Pickens can make down the field, you're going to get some of that attention sometimes. And everybody in their brother analyst has said that. And I think finally he's starting to understand, look, you know, if I draw, uh, draw two, somebody else is going to draw one. And if we can get a big play and more importantly, a win out of that, then, you know, it, it, it you know, I might not like it, but I'm going to have to learn to live with certain games like that. And, and you know, I still think you have to make a more concerted effort to get the football in his hands. Now, look, to his credit, the one time he did touch the ball, uh, uh, it counted, brother. You know, so uh, but, yeah, I think you hit on it. I think they did a concerted effort to take away Pat Farmer, who I thought and I think you thought, Same. too. Uh, had a potential to have a big game in this one, but maybe the weather conditions, maybe Baltimore said, look, they're going to try to run the ball. They're trying, they're going to try to get the ball to Pat Farmuth, uh against, you know, especially in zone in the middle of the field. And if they don't have that, they're probably going to try to take their shots down the field to, to, to George Pickens. So uh, those are the three areas that we're going to try to concentrate on. And if they can make plays outside of that, then, you know, you can't cover all your bases in one game there. So, but the Steelers were able to make enough plays uh, with, 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 with the running game. Uh, and, you know, had the big play to uh, to Deontay Johnson there, which was a huge game changer. Yeah, I mean, the pass game was going to be limited by just the circumstances when you're in that kind of weather. Rudolph only threw the ball 20 times. 10 of them went to the uh, running backs in terms of receptions. 10 of his 18 completions went to Najee Harrison. Jalen Warren. So it was a lot of the, you know, flare out in the past game to the running back and shallow crossers to Deontay and, and things like that. So really didn't lend itself to anybody having a big day in the passing game until 
Deontay hit that big one late that, you know, really put up good numbers for him and uh, was was required for this team. So just, you know, I, I thought Rudolph was really smart in the passing game. There were some ball security issues. There was some pressure issues that resulted in turnovers. And that was obviously a negative, but you know, you're 18 to 20 for 152, a touchdown, no picks, although one nearly intercepted early in that game by Marcus Williams, the rain actually helping Pittsburgh in that regard, slipping out of the defender's hands. But you know, that is a Pittsburgh Steelers record to complete 90% of your passes with a minimum of 15 attempts. No quarterback in team history has ever done that before. And to do, to do that, given the weather, you know, I understand that the ball was thrown pretty short in this one, but I think to do that, just given the, the opponent and given the elements you were dealing with is really impressive. Uh, he made a couple of nice throws, fitting some balls in some in some tight windows. But, you know, two of them uh, uh, come come to mind overall. They're very very game manager uh, type of. Uh, 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 performance by him overall, uh, though. So, and it's a good thing that first one wasn't picked off, uh, there because that that could have been a game changer as well too. So, uh, did enough, and it, you know, it was unfortunate that the couple fumbles that this team had him specifically on that drive to uh to close out the first half there. But uh, just good enough, and once again, they were able to run the football, uh, getting chunks at time times there, and uh. Yeah, I thought once again, Najee ran the ball well. I think, man, on the touchdown, oh, you know, I needed a cold shower <laughs> uh, after that one, running the power and getting Sayamalo to come across and get the uh, get the kick out like he did there. That that was nicely drawn up and executed there. Uh, this team went six of 15 on third down. That's another key stat in this game. However, we did talk about uh, uh you know, rolling back from that last game and, and Mason Rudolph overall on third and long situations there. This team was not good on third and seven or more against the Ravens. And at some point, especially moving forward in the playoffs, if you expect to win a game or two or more, uh, you're going to have to have to convert some of these third and long situations there. So if there was a negative coming out of this one, it would have been the third third down and long seven or more uh, type situations. And this team just, uh, they, they were determined to try to shoot all their toes off in this one uh, uh, as well. Yeah, six fumbles. I tried to find the stat last time. Pittsburgh had six of them in a game. I could not research it, but I'm betting it's been a while. And obviously, again, for the millionth time, elements to rain, making a, a big factor in this one. But, you know, defensively, Pittsburgh forcing two fumbles uh, themselves and then recovering both, getting that fumble lock in some really good plays there by Mark Robinson, by Eric Rowe. So just, again, team effort offensively, defensively, finding your identity on the offensive side of the football, establishing that run game, really having that down the stretch has been critical to their success. And then defensively, guys stepping up and whether it's Robinson, Rowe, you know, just unsung heroes, guys you didn't expect to be talking about in week 18 really coming up large in big time moments. What did you, and I haven't had a chance to, I don't think the all 22s out yet. I haven't seen, if it is, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, probably will right after we get off of this uh, podcast here. And that first deep shot down the left side of D Deontay Johnson there kind of, I'm interested to see a couple of angles of that. Uh, did he not find the ball? Did he let up a little bit? Because uh, the ball didn't land too far away mm -hmm. from him. Was he expecting it more to his outside shoulder? Uh, what's your take on 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 that first first one? You you knew that he was going to go after him. Well, that was a third down situation, I believe, wasn't it? It was. 
Yeah. And, and uh, but, you know, anytime you get kind of press press situation like that, as we've seen with the uh, middle of the field safety uh, more times than not, they're, they're going to try to attack that situation. And Mason did. I didn't think it was an awful ball uh, overall. What what did you see on that? I want to see another angle to get a better perspective of where that was in relation to Deontay. You're right. It looked like it was close. Like there was at least a chance for him to make an attempt. To at least to, to get a hands football. on it. Yeah, you know, make an effort, but maybe the angle was deceiving. Right. Did he potentially maybe pull up lane because then he came off the field pretty slow to the point where he was the 12th man on the <laughs> ensuing punt? And I, I don't want to make an excuse for him. I, I want to see the replay. Um, I, don't, I don't think they showed a really a good or if, at all a replay of that that moment, but it did look curious because it felt like he was in the area. Right. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, once again, I want to see more angles of this, but uh, in, 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 in real time and immediately after there, I kind of wondered, you know, maybe, maybe he just didn't, didn't see it, you know, maybe, That's maybe, possible. maybe, maybe lost it and all like that. So uh, uh, that was just one play that kind of, kind of stuck out of my head there. Uh, and obviously Deontay uh, making the catch and run later in the game was a huge, huge turning point in this game. Yeah, but 71 yards to the house and a great yak ball, similar to the Pickens moment where you take that slant and and outrun the defense. So just, you know, giving your receivers a chance to make a play and Deontay in space can make a play. Uh, Connor Hayward, I thought, played pretty damn good overall uh, in this game. Uh, you know, he's developed into a pretty reliable guy, uh, especially in kind of that split zone type situation and blocking out in space on that uh, X solo uh, uh, played a warrant over left side. Uh, uh, Connor Hayward, I think, is the one that got a nice turn in uh, mm-hmm. out there on, on, on the edge there. Uh, so kudos to him. I thought for them, uh, you know, Dan Moore had his issues and uh, be interested to look at uh, a couple of those sacks in the game as well, too, as far as uh, Broderick Jones maybe needing to start on the inside instead of the you know outside, just recognition. Uh, what'd you see on, 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 on the sacks? Do you remember them off the top of your head? Yeah. Again, I'll have to go back and see, haven't watched the L 22 yet, but just some of those tackles losing the edge and, you know, allowing those DNs to corner and listen, they played their, their, their pass rush was still played in this game for all the backups they had. Clowney was out there. He made his money with his sack of Rudolph and Van Noy was out there. And those are some of the, the top leaders. Matty Buque played at least some of this game. We know that he got, you know, was the guy that got flattened by say Malu. So the tackles struggled to, I think, uh, protect the uh, width of the pocket. That the interior line did a nice job, at least giving Rudolph some some things to climb up into and some, you know, uh, controlling the depth of the pocket, as O line coach Pat Meyer would say. So that was good, but I feel like the tackles had some issues with the speed. I think you said this the other day, and I I, I think we kind of both agree Sam Ball is going to need surgery after the season, isn't he? Yeah, he's going to be one of those guys for sure. Colin mentions in in his uh you know, end of year press conference or if it comes out at some point later, but dude's a warrior, man. He is. And, and, and to lay down, not just any D tackle, but Justin Matibuke is having a career year going to get paid handsomely by somebody, probably not Baltimore. It sounds like, but I mean, a dude having a fantastic season to get flattened like that. I just go back to, I think I mentioned this, I think at some point either on the podcast or I know I mentioned it on Twitter, Remember when Pittsburgh didn't pull their guard on a run play oh. the first month of the season? I mean, I'm so glad they got back to, you know, being able to play power, gap scheme football. That reflects their identity. They want to be a bully ball team. I mean, you can probably be that from a zone, you know, based offense, but you really want to assert your will, you know, run power, pull those guards, pull those tackles, be physical. 
And you're seeing that a lot more, you know, the latter half of the season. And you saw that on on that particular place. And with those short pulls Pittsburgh is doing have become really effective. You know, and it's you're talking about a running play that these these guys run in uh, uh, middle school. <laughs> you know, why, why is it take you so long to get that underway? You know? Yeah, you had the guys to do it, and obviously you're seeing it now. But the point is, they're doing it now consistently, mm-hmm. successfully. They're running better at a heavy personnel. They've gotten. They're still running obviously zone stuff, but they're not as zone exclusive. They were so zone heavy to begin the year, and they were so bad on that track and combo blocks and climbing to the second level and linebackers running free. They're really just getting a hat on a half of simplifying things. The reads for the offensive linemen, and they're playing downhill more with Najee Harris, which is in his wheelhouse, and um, really just made this run run game effective. All right, what else do you see uh, uh, offense? This work I mean, that, yeah, that's basically it. I mean, there wasn't anything too you know crazy about it. It was just kind of playing downhill and trying to gain field position and you know just, just protect the football. And Pittsburgh struggled to do that, obviously. But I just thought in terms of the decision making for Rudolph was pretty sound overall. And then just making enough plays, controlling the ball, running to keep yourself relatively on schedule, and then hitting the big play late to. To you know, I, I thought even were you fine with them running the ball all three times in that goal to go situation late for the field goal to put Pittsburgh up seventeen seven, or did you want to try to take maybe a more aggressive shot in the end zone? Uh yeah, I'm fine. I I, I was fine with it. Points are premium at that point, you know. Same. Yeah, and, just burn clock. Yeah, get get the, get the clock running. I mean, they had been, in, you know, obviously had got 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 uh, aggressive there in that game uh, the week before against the Seahawks, and most of the most of the guys, you know, from from the Ravens, where they were getting out of the game at that point, and that, you know, with the conditions and all, the Ravens were Ravens were ready ready to, you know, get to a dry place and start getting rested up. So I was fine with that uh, when you consider all those things. Yeah, I thought it was the right call. Um, you had a chance to maybe you know, put up a shot to George Pickens 1v1, but I was happy with run the ball, protect the football, get points, go up two scores, and use time against Baltimore. And that was their their biggest enemy at that point. Did you have any other final thoughts offensively? No, nah, no, nah, I think we covered most of it, at least until the all 22 hits. I got, yeah. got a couple of things I want to note and look at, but uh, I don't think I'm going to have any earth-shattering uh, discoveries there. Defensively holding Baltimore to 10 points aside from kind of one poor drive with some sloppy tackling and allowing, I say, likely to score from 27 yards out the defense holding Baltimore in check again, playing many of their backups. No, Edo Beckham Jr., no Zay Flowers, uh, no Lamar Jackson. Obviously, they pulled, I think, Ronnie Stanley relatively early in this game, that kind of stuff. But Pittsburgh creating the splash plays, the forced fumbles were, were huge, especially Eric Rose that I think allowed Pittsburgh to go up 17-7 in the fourth quarter of this one that you know gave them the additional insurance to and make sure that Pittsburgh that uh, Baltimore could not come back in this one so really felt like a team effort defensively with everybody stepping up yeah the likely touchdown you hate to see from uh, several angles of it uh there uh one it kind of uh, what was a cover 3 rotation and got hit uh in that far uh, hole over there and then not only that uh, I mean, I can, you, know, you, the other team gets paid too to kind of decipher and, 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 and hit plays like that, especially, you know, regardless of defense coverage uh, up top there. But, uh, 
uh, the tackling's got to be better in that situation. You got to you got to save blades of grass to defend in that situation, and they did not had two opportunities at it, uh, and and did not. So not so much concerned because they only allowed I think two explosive plays uh, in this game overall. That was one of them, but. Uh, as I always have, have said on this show in the past there, okay, if you're going to give up the explosive play, that's fine. Just don't let it end in the end zone. Uh, try try to save the extra blades of grass to defend, especially with this defense, because they've taken the football away uh, down in the red zone quite a few times. You never know what's going to happen, especially with a, a second string guy with uh, in Hotley who was not great in this game, right? Yeah, I mean, his really first substantial action of the season um, and again, the rain playing a factor. The other explosive play they allowed was a play or two before that on the Gus Edwards long run that set up the likely touchdown. And, you know, I think Patrick Peterson's done a really good job at safety this season. I think he's transitioned there well and filled in that role in a pinch. And he's done a really admirable job. But the tackling is going to be a concern for him. That's maybe one of the biggest downgrades you're going to have with him compared to somebody like Micah Fitzpatrick. Not you know, preventing those good runs from being great runs. And when you have a bad angle, don't even touch Gus Edwards. And he rips off a huge, what, 29-yard run that could have been maybe 10 or 12 yards. That that That's a difference there. And then obviously not, not able to get likely down before the end zone. That you reference on the touchdown, if he's going to make that full-time transition to safety, which seems to be you know a decent chance of that happening, or at least a much fuller time compared to how he started this year, the tackling will have to improve. And look, he's not going to be a strong safety, right? I mean, he's no. going to, there's going to be times where he'll have to rotate down. and But, I mean, predominantly, you're talking about a center field guy, right? Yes, so, but your last line of defense, when you're right. the free safety, you are the last man standing. Right. And how many times have we, over the last three seasons, have we seen Minka have to uh, be, be, be the guy that cleans it up? You know? Routinely, yeah. So he's going to have to, to work on that, but th- that was, that was the blemish overall. But again, timely defensive plays, you know, the Mark Rob forced fumble to stall out a drive that might've had some progress for Baltimore. And then the row great kind of peanut punch out there that I think Benton or Golden, I think ended up getting the ball out of the pile of that one. That was a, a big time play. How about Eric Rowe, man? 12 oh. tackles in this one, forced fumble, the physicality that he showed. I mean, just one of those off the couch type of dudes that is, is, helping you know bring this team to the playoffs yeah mike thomas made a made a point specifically after that game to talk about the off the couch guys you know miles jack and and and, and eric rowe and cam hayward saying after the game how was that guy not on a uh, not on somebody's roster when the steelers got him so kudos to them for because he's he's come up pretty big in the last couple of games here and it, so much so now that he's kind of integrated enough in in that defense to some degree and we'll we'll have probably have a conversation here a little bit uh because Demonte Casey is now eligible uh to uh to come off the uh 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 suspended list there uh I mean you you got to find a way to 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 elevate and continue to get Roe involved in this thing right and Mika coming back and all like that so uh kudos to Miles Jack and and, and Eric Roe for their contributions uh especially making what they're making every, I mean, uh, coming off the practice squad. And I know it's a weekly set, you know, they, they get the bump up in, in salary there, but for all practical purposes, you're talking about two practice squad guys there right now. 12 tackles, a career high for Eric Rowe. And he's played a lot of football, not that you want to define a safety by tackles, but he made a bunch of them. And a lot of them close to the line of scrimmage that limited yak. And, uh, you know, again, forcing that fumble was, was monumental. Yeah. Pittsburgh, 
you know, the, the other side of the ugliness of losing TJ Watt is your safety group's going to look a whole lot healthier. I mean, if it's Patrick bowing to play in the playoffs, and so he should be good to go in this one. Demonte Casey off suspension. We'll see on Trenton Thompson. So how exactly they divide up the labor, I'm not quite sure. Obviously, Mink is going to start and, you know, I presume play free safety. What does that leave Patrick Peterson? Will Roe remain the starting strong safety? I think Casey, probably a dime defender, you know, 60B in, in those packages. That's going to be his role. I, I don't know exactly how it's going to look, but you have options now, which Pittsburgh has not had for several weeks. Yeah, and especially against a, a team that's probably going to try to push the football down the field in the air uh, to some degree. We'll see how much weather plays into that uh, in 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 uh, at Orange Park, but uh, uh, Orchard Park, sorry, Orchard Park, uh, mm. but. Uh, What's exp- lay out to the folks what we think may or may not happen when it comes to Casey this week because obviously he's not on the fifty-three man uh, roster right now, and and on top of that, uh, he's got to come off of that list and go somewhere. So uh, I would expect the, the the Steelers to get a ask for and receive a couple of day roster exemption when it comes to him being the the amount of games that he's been out. But by the end of the week, they're going to have to make a decision with him. Uh, what's that going to look like? Yeah, it could go a couple of different ways. Um, they will have to activate him or release him, but I assume they're going to activate him and, and use him in some capacity in this wild card game. So my, my first thought was Blake Martinez with Landon Roberts back, and you have Walker and Elevate Jack and Mark Robinson there. I, I don't think there's really a role. You know, Martinez is not going to dress in this one, so... I imagine he's the first name I thought of whenever I thought about potential corresponding roster moves to get Casey back on the roster. Yeah, possibly him or maybe Trenton Thompson, right? That's possible. Um, you know, he's, you know, A, is he healthy enough to be waived, I guess. Um, he's been working back from that neck injury and he came close to, to playing, but did not dress like Minka in this game. I think Martinez a bit more likely, but... We'll see. You're right. They're going to get that exemption, probably have to make that move on, you know, Saturday or something like that on Casey. So we'll see what the uh, decision is from the team. All right. Uh, What else uh, defensively stuck out to you? Well, just kind of going off of that, I got to, you know, got to shout out Roberts as well for suiting up in this one. Whenever he went down in week 16, we thought, okay, his season's probably done. That looks like a very serious pec injury. Not as bad, obviously, as as initially feared and how it looked, but he was not hundred percent in this one. They limited his snap count. I don't know exactly how many he played, but about maybe half the snaps or so in this game. And I just thought him just being that warrior out there for this one, how much this means to him is, uh, you know, you got to respect the heck out of that. And look, uh, uh, like it or not. And, and we talked earlier about being glad this game is not on, uh, Saturday. Uh, for the Steelers in you know the, the in the wild card round here, uh, they get an extra day here. That's true, they do. They get an extra day, and Buffalo's going from the night game to to playing on Sunday afternoon, and Pittsburgh's going from a, a sun or Saturday, you know, four four twenty five or four thirty game to Sunday afternoon, which is going to help them. Not going to hurt. That's that's for sure. Uh, the pass rush overall, you know, TJ Watt doing TJ Watt things. Um, you know, beyond that, Highsmith being held quite a bit. Do you believe how yeah. many damn times Alex Highsmith was held in that game? Oh, it was especially late in that, that yeah. last drive the Baltimore had three, four times, no calls at all. I mean, I, I know sometimes that rip and dip, you know, it looks like a hold and they typically don't call it, but there were times where he's getting the back of his jersey talk, like he's beat the block and he's getting grabbed and, and no call there. So that was frustrating. 
The question becomes, you know, assuming that TJ Watt does not play in this game, what is the best path to replacing TJ Watt? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Now, Marcus Golden has had his moments, uh, uh, some some good moments. There, this will obviously be a three man uh, rotation uh, through this thing. I don't think mm-hmm. you can, I don't think you can just throw, let's say, Golden and Highsmith out there for a huge number of snaps, or uh, Highsmith and Herbig out there for a huge percentage of snaps. I think it starts there with how you rotate these guys. The good news is that we have seen throughout the season, and obviously Herbig less than the other two, that uh, that all three guys can play both sides. Uh, that's number one. Number two, I think, uh, with Herbig, I would much rather see him over on the right side. I think, I think he's good off of both sides, but I think, I think he's more equipped to give you, uh, that, that, that extra bend around the edge, I think it's get offs a little bit better over on the right side personally. So I would, I would devise something that would get him over to the right side more times than not. I think he's going to play both sides there. I think with golden, I think he's a better run defender on the right side. And I think he's a slightly better pass rusher on the left side. Uh, now with Highsmith, obviously, obviously he's more experienced on the right side there. So I think the challenge of this is is getting people to the left side mm-hmm. in their per- in their percentages in the right situations. Does all that make sense? It does, and that's a good point on Herbig. All three of his sacks this year came as a right outside linebacker. Correct, I believe so. There was I believe the so. one against the Rams that was right side. The other one against. The Bengals, he dropped into coverage and then he ran in, but that was still right side. And then the uh, one against Seattle was from the right side, beating the left tackle, Charles Cross. When I went through my charting, once Watt went down, they did play Highsmith a couple of snaps on that left side. So I wonder if Highsmith's going to get a couple of looks on the left side this game. I think you're right. right. Herbig probably best to be that right outside linebacker. I think Golden's going to see a lot of that time at left outside. It's stronger, sturdier against the run overall. So but but you'd like him against the run on the right side though, right? Too. So I mean that that that's how you uh could you get in a situation where uh early down stuff golden on at right, Highsmith on left, and then you know work is work off of that. I Potentially, I think mixing and matching is going to be important and maybe rotating sure. to give these tackles different looks and because they're all kind of different styles and body types a little bit. Highsmith versus Herbig versus Golden, they're not exactly the same dude. So I think you have to mix things up. You know, one thing Pittsburgh have been doing, even before Watt got hurt, they've been dropping their outside linebackers in the coverage a lot. Some of these four-man blitzes with the off-ball linebacker rushing in, whether that's, you know, Robinson or Roberts or Jack or Walker or somebody like that. They've been doing that at a pretty high clip. So I think some of those kind of four-man safe pressures, the inside linebacker rushing, the nickel corner rushing from time to time, dropping an off-ball linebacker, they're going to have to get a bit more creative in terms of how they try to apply pressure. But they've kind of been doing some of those things the past few weeks anyway. So there may be some of that element as well in terms of you know changing up how you rush forward and how that rush looks to try to 
make up for you know what Watt's able to bring as a just a pure rusher. Another thing I thought about too: might you consider uh, blitzing a little bit more? Yeah, but those those safe pressures, those four man rushes, right. which they again they've been doing. Go back and watch the Seattle game, the Baltimore game before Watt went down. I mean, he would I, I didn't pull the exact number. He was probably dropping into coverage 15, 20% of the time. For him, that's a pretty high clip. And he dropped on the one that he was injured on, unfortunately. Yeah, that's okay. That's a fair point. Also true on that one. Yeah, what a what a freak, what a freak thing. That's the third serious knee injury Pittsburgh's had from friendly fire this year. And it's no one's fault. It's just unfortunate. But Holcomb went down that way. Fitzpatrick went down that way. Now Watt goes down that way, colliding with Montrevious Adams. So just really just just terrible luck overall. But yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh's backers, you know, Highsmith dropped into coverage quite a bit. So they've been already messing with this. And, 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 and a- Highsmith dropped on the likely uh, touchdown, too. Part, Did part he? Of, okay. Yeah, part of, I think uh, part of the cover three there. Yeah, so those are kind of some of the the, the safe kind of four-man blitzes Pittsburgh has been utilizing. It's not going to make up completely for what Watt's able to bring, obviously, but you're probably going to see more of that. The good news is, quote-unquote, is you have the whole week to game plan, how you want to map this thing out and maybe add in a couple of wrinkles and pressure packages. Um, you know, in-game, you're kind of just scrambling to adjust, you know, in the middle of the game. Now there's some time to have a more cohesive plan. But I think some of those four-man looks and changing things up and maybe adding a new blitz this week during practice will be you know, pretty critical. Yeah, but overall, we expect them to rotate uh, uh, the three, right? Sure. And, and at least, again, the silver lining is, is their depth is so much better than last mm-hmm. year. When they lost TJ Watt last year and you have Malik Reed and I can't even remember who else they really had there. Uh, was it Jameer Jones for a brief time, mm-hmm. I want to say? I mean, you just had nothing there. This year you have you know, proven veteran in Marcus Golden, a really exciting rookie in Nick Herbig, and you still have Highsmith as well. So your depth, no one replaces TJ Watt, obviously, but you feel much better about the group that you have that are going to be asked to do that collectively than what you had last year. All right, what else on defense, Alex? Yeah, just trying to think. I mean, the run game for Baltimore was generally bottled up, and that was going to be key. I mean, Edwards broke off that one run, but that was really all that they had. The quarterback run game, besides Huntley scrambling a bit late, really wasn't much of an issue. They kept the ball in front of them. They did not really allow any any big plays. The communication seemed better. The coverage bust really didn't seem like they were you know, much of an issue overall. So just trying to play some fundamental football, keep things in front, force Baltimore to go on long drives. They didn't get the big play that Pittsburgh got. Pittsburgh got the big 70-yard touchdown play. Baltimore didn't hit something quite like that, and that was really the difference with the uh, two turnovers that Pittsburgh forced. Yeah, I liked uh, what you think about uh, them trying to run. They ran a version of that uh, same kind of uh, r- uh, running back will to uh, to heal early in the game, going the other direction. Not exactly the same route combinations as, as they uh, burned uh, Miami with, but I thought uh, even though it was a well-placed ball and probably should have been caught, I thought Joey Porter did a good job on that overall. Yeah, got his hand in his face and probably helped obscure the ball a bit from Justice Hill. It was a, a really nice throw from Huntley and luckily uh, they did not convert but yeah I mean just you know Porter you know doing his things and he's got a big task this weekend Stephon Diggs in a playoff game in Buffalo that's going to be mm-hmm. one heck of a matchup yeah you're definitely going to follow him around more, or yeah. not definitely but more than likely and uh, probably going to give him some help over the top yeah no question uh, special teams um Calvin Austin now there were some really you know more more opportunities for runbacks than probably what he's had throughout the season, but his average, I mean, average 18 yards per return, had a big 34-yarder, so 
you know, Calvin Austin providing a spark when you, you know, your return game would have been pretty nondescript the entire season and to get your longest punt return of the season in this game, um, at least help play the field position game. So there were some nice moments there from Calvin Austin. All right. Uh, how about Godwin? Yeah, the smartest play you'll see, man. I wish Pittsburgh could have gotten points off of that at the end of the half that you referenced. That would have probably made that play even more memorable and, and notable in recapping this one. But um, yeah, what happens is that that kickoff after the likely touchdown, it, it, the ball kind of dies right, right, right near the sideline, but still in bounds. And so Iquibuque ran out of bounds. And then while still touching the sideline, grab the football, which is actually an illegal kick. It becomes a considered a kick out of bounds, even though the ball never went out of bounds. But because you're out of bounds while touching the ball, that's considered out of bounds. And so it's a penalty that brings the ball to the 35-yard line. Just uh, you, You've seen that play before. I, I posted a clip of the Packers that have done that many times over the years. Randall Cobb was one of those guys that always kind of exploited that weird quirk and loophole in the rules. But it was fun to see because I had seen that <laughs> play in a while, and it, it is truly one of the smartest plays in football. You know, that's kind of too. He had to measure that thing up. Uh, it, to, 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 you had to wonder what was going through his head because it's not like that was right there. Uh, right. uh, you know, 18, 24 inches away from mm-hmm. the sideline there. You had to stretch a little bit for that one. Yeah. You almost have to pull out the, uh, the measuring tape there halfway through that, get a good measure, you know, uh, cut, uh, measure twice, cut once. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, in, 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 in that situation there and, and to have the wherewithal with all those guys bearing down on you to make the decision like that and to execute the way he executed, uh, that that was phenomenal. Now, do you like that rule? I mean, I, I love the weird, quirky rule, so I, I I keep it. It is it's a strange one, you know. It's considered out of bounds, but that happened with Deontay against Seattle, right? On that fumble, it, it was a dead ball because not because he didn't fumble, he did, but because he touched the ball while he was touching you know, the sideline, he was out right. of bounds. That becomes a dead ball right there. So that just that's why the rule is not specifically to a kickoff. It's just if a player touches the football while out of bounds, the ball becomes dead automatically. It's considered out of bounds. And so that's kind of how all all those things work together. Um, I I like it though. I like that you get rewarded for that kind of high IQ. For knowing the rules. Yeah. And again, it's been done occasionally. There's even like a two minute cut up of the Packers doing it over the years. So kudos for Godwin to be aware of it. I'm sure Danny Smith had harped on that and mentioned that before. So kudos to him for um, explaining some of those weird moments uh, in parts of the NFL rule book. And again, just wish that could have led the points. I nearly did, but still a great play. Yeah. Chestnut checkers in that situation. Good on him. For sure. Any other thoughts here? <laughs> Cal- Calvin Austin wouldn't have been tall enough to get that done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to be this tall to uh, execute this maneuver. All uh, right, Dave, any thoughts here from this game? Yeah. Pun- pun- punting could have been better. I think uh, again. Yeah. You had that one on the re-kick where you lost. You know, almost 30 yards of field position, um, which was really unfortunate there. So, yeah, Harvin, you know, we'll see about his future, but I think Punter's going to be on that list that team needs for next year. Boy, Danny Smith was giving it to him. Uh, was after, he? Yeah, after that second quarter punt there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Pittsburgh, they tried to see it through. The numbers have not been there. He's a good holder. There's a good chemistry with Boz, but listen, Boz did well once Barry left. He had the same success with Harvin. They'll find another holder. Um, they need a, a field flipping type of punter and Harvard has not been that guy. 
All right, we probably should have talked more about this earlier in the show. I mean, at least we did cover the T.J. Watt injury, but uh, update everybody on the latest on on T.J. Watt, what it is, and 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 uh, obviously we had the great Dr. Mel, uh, Dr. Melanie Friedlander, uh, give us a doctor is in post that broke it down real good before the actual MRI was run. And I think in a, in in so many words she put out there, it's going to be determined on the grade of the mm-hmm. MCL. And the initial reports were grade three on that. It ended up, uh, you know, as far as uh, better case scenario goes, it ended up being a grade two. So uh, take it from there. Yeah, I'm no doctor here, but I think the way that Dr. Melanie Friedlander, uh, Friedlander broke it down, grade three is essentially a full tear of the MCL. Grade two is more of a, a partial tear of it, obviously not not as severe, and the recovery time is going to be quicker. And then J.J. Watt on the Sunday show, breaking the news, uh, courtesy of his brother, the grade two MCL spring, couple weeks rest and recovery. Ian Rappaport reporting on Monday morning that best case scenario for T.J. Watt is a return in two weeks, so not really painting any outlook for him to return for the wild card game. Again, I'm still going to hold out the, the tiniest sliver of hope until I'm told 100% that TJ Watt will not play in this one. If anyone is going to do it, it's going to be TJ Watt, but obviously the odds are you know pretty remote at this point. So no surgery for TJ Watt could return for what it sounds like potentially the divisional game. He would have to wear a brace to help stabilize the knee, of course. So that's the situation with TJ Watt, grade two MCL sprain. All right. Uh, what were the other bumps and bruises associated with play? Nothing notable. Eric Rowe had a neck injury, but he came back in. And then I'm not aware of anything else. Tomlin will speak uh, uh, finally at Tuesday press conference. Right. And so he'll uh, have an update tomorrow. Obviously, we'll get information on Minka and Trent Thompson. And then we know Casey will be eligible to play. That's not an injury, just a suspension related issue. And that uh, should be about the list. All right, what about all the uh, weekend fluff about Mike Tomlin? You mean the Schefter and Glazer yeah. type stuff? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm paying attention to it a lot less considering the season's still going on. But Jake Glazer on the Fox Sports pregame show yesterday you know, made the comment, Mike Tomlin's not going to be fired or not trading Mike Tomlin. But he did repeatedly, Glazer kept saying that Tomlin will coach so long as he wants to coach. It's his choice is what Glazer said multiple times in a, 30 second blurb. And then Adam Schefter this morning uh, saying that some around the league believe that Tomlin could take some time off a la Sean Payton last year, who sat out uh, all of last season before returning to coaching this year with Denver. So what do you make of that? Who knows? Um, I think Glazer, obviously the way that he phrased it was weird. And then given his close relationship with Tomlin is really notable overall, but it seems to be, no one's really saying this as a, as a firm report. It's kind of more speculating, and I'm hearing, and some people around the league believe, and we don't know exactly what the source of this stuff might be. So we'll see about it. I mean, Tomlin's never had an indication or hinting that he would um, want to do something else. He's always talked about how much he's loved coaching. So, you know, we'll just have to, to wait and see on that. But when you have Glazer and Schefter saying the same thing within a 24 hour span, it's, you know, it raises an eyebrow. Yeah, I just, I roll back in my head, man, just Mike Tomlin loving the process so much, you know, uh, it's, it's hard, you know, there, there obviously have been some, some different type moments this year and terse, a little bit more terseness and, and not so crisp of press conferences, uh, for him, uh, this season, but, uh, long story short, I, you know, 
I, I just, I have a hard time envisioning Mike Tomlin just saying, you know what, I, I want to take a, a take a year or, or so off. Uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm having trouble visualizing that happen. But as you mentioned, when you have a guy like Glazer who's kind of close to Mike Tomlin, what is what is he hearing? You know, uh, sure. and and uh, I, I I I give more credence to to Glazer because of his relationship uh, with Mike Tomlin than I do say you know, kind of a tag along report, maybe like Schefter uh, is doing there. But I, at its core, I, I just, I have, have a hard time wrapping my brain around Mike Tomlin taking a hiatus, if you will. It's always interesting to me, at least how these reporters report things, because neither has tweeted out, like put on paper or internet paper, the report. Glazer said it just as a, as a passing Glance during his report, Schefter as well. You know, Schefter usually tweets these things. We have a huge story if Mike Tomlin were to step away for a season or, or something like that, or even considering that. So for Schefter to not even, to my knowledge, at least tweet it out, but only just mention it was interesting. I thought just in the way that he framed it, you know, is, is he that confident in that or didn't want to uh, make it a huge headline more than it is, at least in Pittsburgh circles? I, I, I don't know overall. I mean, listen, the guy's been coaching for 17 years. I mean, he's, you know, he's only he's young for, for a coach, but 17 years of, of, you know, and we know that Tomlin is, you know, an all in type of coach, fully invested, like that's his life. And so that can take a toll on you. So, you know, does he want to do something for a year and, and take it up? I, I, I don't know. These are things to talk about once the season ends. Fortunately for Pittsburgh, their season is not over. And so the focus is really on for Tomlin. And I think for us, it's on, on the team. And we'll talk about Tomlin's future afterwards, but it's something to file away. All right. What about the, uh, the quarterback reports over the weekend? Uh, I'm trying to think about even what they, what they were. What are you referencing? Uh, the picket still the franchise quarterback. Oh. And- yeah. For 2024. Yeah. That was a report from Rappaport. And I think Tomlin uh, in an interview with ESPN referring to Pickett is still their starter. I mean, okay, l- let's start here. We, we would be shocked if anybody, but Mason Rudolph is starting against the bills on Sunday. Correct. True. I mean, there's no way that Tomlin can go back to picket at this point. Not at right any now. point no, this playoff no, run. No, barring injury, this is sure. Rudolph's ride. It feels okay, like. So, so let's start there. And then you talk about next year, the team still, according to Rappaport, having full faith in Pickett to be the franchise guy. You know, we'll see. I mean, it, it just feels, again, we're, we're going to talk about quarterbacks so much this offseason, about Pickett's future, about Rudolph's future, about external options, draft, or agency trade, all that kind of stuff that I'm not even like putting my, my head in that space right now because I know I'm going to live there for the next four months as soon as Pittsburgh is eliminated, which could be in as soon as a week from now. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Just the report is that they still believe in Kenny Pickett as the franchise guy. All right, so we'll at least we passed it along, and we'll leave it at that then. So Pittsburgh facing Buffalo on Sunday. Your initial thoughts, impressions of that matchup? Uh, at its core, uh, I don't mind it so much, to be honest with you. Uh, now, look, they uh, they had an injury to one of their uh, – the Bills did to one of their wide receivers, right? Yeah, Gabe Davis with a knee injury, and he's their speedster. He had that big 98-yard touchdown against Pittsburgh last year. I don't know his status going forward. The injury seemed to be relatively you know, serious, but I don't know. I don't have an update on, on his 
potential status for Sunday's game. And while Josh, I mean, why the bills as a whole have played a lot better the last several weeks and all like that. And all Josh, Josh Allen still has his moments, right? Uh, kind of, kind of head scratcher type situations there. Uh, and, and if the weather is, is snow, if it's a snow game with some wind in this thing, I, once again, I think that plays to the Steelers favor. Uh, now, now I, I, I will tell you, tell you what, uh, uh, they the the Bills have been able to with their with their running game looks mm-hmm. a lot looks a lot better and they're they're dangerous on the ground as well too. But uh, uh, the Steelers run game obviously has come around as well too. Lo- long story short, right now I'd hammer the plus ten. I'll tell you that. Uh, I don't think by the time I think by the time we get to the by by the time we get to kickoff of this thing, I think that line will have shrunk more to probably nine points, maybe, maybe even eight and a half. I don't know if it'll move that much uh, there, uh, but I don't think it doesn't feel like the Steelers should be as big of underdogs as they are. That's, that's my takeaway there. Now, who, you know, what would you rather have, 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 have had happen uh, play Buffalo in a snowy, windy uh, game or play Kansas city in like an ice bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's going to be like zero, I think, in Kansas City next weekend. Uh, with the way their receivers have played, and we say every week, well, this is the week Kansas City gets her offense on track, and it just it hasn't happened uh, there. Uh, but then you got the aspect, now look, both quarterbacks are mobile and all like that. Uh, uh, Mahomes does the more freaky stuff, obviously, the way the Steelers have been. And and look, Buffalo's back healthy at tight end. So I think both teams give you issues at, obviously, at the tight end position, mm-hmm. some, something the Steelers have struggled with uh, this year. And then you look at the uh, the wide receiver position, uh, Diggs uh, is automatically, uh, uh, Diggs with Buffalo, you know, you much probably would rather face the Chiefs wide receivers than you would the the Bills wide receiver, you know, Diggs uh, uh, type situation there. Uh, the running game, uh, Pacheco's been done some nice things for Kansas City this year, and and obviously uh, the, the the Bills running game has come around quite nicely there. Uh, I think when you look at Buffalo specifically here, though, I I would be you know and and, and am tempted to hammer plus nine plus ten. Yeah, I get that. I'm probably with you. You know, would I rather face Kansas City if you made me choose? And I'm always the be careful what you wish for. And we saw Kansas City, you know, they've always had success against Pittsburgh, but their offense is not nearly as potent as it's been. I'd probably rather face KC. They're, I mean, Buffalo is red hot. They've won five straight. They beat some really quality opponents, but none of that really matters. I'm just focused on they're playing Buffalo. What does that matchup look like? And my my first thought and impression is, I know the focus will be on Josh Allen and, and we think about Buffalo. We think about, okay, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. But as you said, Dave, that ground game is really good in Buffalo. I mean, it, it was not good a couple of years ago, but James Cook's having a fantastic season. It's a top 10 rushing offense in basically every category. And that defense too is really underrated. And they've lost some really big pieces. Matt Milano early in the season with a severe leg injury. Trey White tore his Achilles, you know, months ago, but they are still the, the fourth ranked scoring defense. They held Miami to, what, 14 points in this one, shut them out in the second half despite losing more people. Dodson, one of their linebackers, had some other guys go down as well. So I know the focus is on Josh Allen, the big plays, what he can do, and understandably so. But to me, Buffalo's run game and their defense really get overlooked. And then when you do talk about Josh Allen, as you said, 
he's going to make some plays against Pittsburgh. There's no question about that. He's a freaky dude. I mean, he makes a place that you just go, okay, nobody else in the league can do that kind of stuff with this combination of size and power, athleticism, et cetera. But he can make some really ugly plays as well. Three turnovers against Miami, two picks, a fumble, and then the end of half debacle where he threw the ball short of the goal line. They run out of time, don't come away with points. So how many... We know Allen will make some big plays against Pittsburgh. How many negative plays can Pittsburgh force against right. Allen? The closer you get that ratio to one-to-one, obviously the more of a chance you have to win this game. Uh, look, if Josh Allen comes out and plays uh, uh, one of his better games, it's going to be extremely tough. It's going to be uh, last year, which was 38-3. to Right. It, extremely, extremely tough. Now, if he makes some mistakes in this game, if he has, I mean, and he has had some moments, some head scratchers throughout this season, if you get that version of him, and then obviously if you take, can, can take the football away uh, a couple of times in this game, it's, it's going to be hard. He is a guy though, that, that will hang in the pocket a little bit as well too. So when you, when you have a, when you have a pass rushing situation uh, uh, like the Steelers are in with, potentially without TJ Watt, you know, it, it, if you can get him in some of these third and long situations and he is a guy that will flush a little bit, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, as well there too. So, uh, I think it, look the, to me, the onus is more on the bills in this game, just to get it, to make sure they get it done. Because I, once again, everybody's going to be expecting them to, 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 to run the Steelers out of the stadium, I think there. So, uh, the Steelers are, are playing uh, Hey, we just, uh, uh, we're in the tournament, you know, yeah, house, uh, money. house, house money type situation there. So I expect a lot, most of the talk to be on what can Josh Allen in that running game. That's Shakir, uh, 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 put up some, put up some nice six, six receptions, 105 yards against the dolphins. Uh, and, and plus their tight ends are, are playing pretty well. They got knocks back, uh, Kincaid. So, uh, a, a mm-hmm. weapon with them as well, too. Uh, to me, it comes down to, uh, how well Josh Allen can play in this game when it, uh, and, and how well the bills running game, you got to go into this thing as, as they do every week, trying to shut down the rod. That's first and foremost. And then, you know, can, can you, can, can Josh Allen make some mistakes in this game? Yeah. And can you manufacture some of those mistakes with some pressure? You know, I thought Allen was making those mistakes, at least the the second pick, I think, I mean, they covered well, Miami did, they plastered Allen rolls to his right and then gets some pressure and just flings the ball downfield and it gets picked in the end zone. Um, and now so that, that was a third down play and you could say it was sure. an arm punt and all like that, but even at it, but at, at its core, uh, YOLO ball. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, the first one, there was some miscommunication against the blitz. I think Miami was running cover zero and the receiver broke in and Allen thought he was going to sit. It led to the pick. They've had some issues against cover zero. So I'm not saying Pittsburgh will necessarily do that. There's a scary proposition to that, but I think you're going to see Pittsburgh dial up some blitzes and kind of force, you know, in, in the wind and they're calling for snow later in the day. I don't know if they're going to get it earlier in the day, but the forecast can obviously change, but you know, I think you're going to send some pressure and kind of force Buffalo to make some on-time decisions between quarterback and receiver. They've struggled to do that. Defensively, from what I can recall from them, I just checked some of the numbers. They're a nickel defense. Like Teron Johnson, their nickel corner is an every-down kind of guy. Like they never play and really get a true base defense with the linebacker injuries that probably will heighten that even more. So can Pittsburgh run against that nickel front? Johnson's a really good slot corner. He's really aggressive, kind of their, their version of Mike Hilton. But on paper, there's no guarantee, but on paper, Pittsburgh running against basically a 
what, 425 or whatever their front's going to be that could bode well for how well Pittsburgh has been running the football. Well, especially, uh, and look, uh, that's been at its core the last several weeks, right? Run the ball well. Stay out of those third and long situations because that's when really a a defense like Buffalo becomes that much better uh, in those situations because of that personnel that you named off there. So uh, no surprise, they're going to have to come out and run. And and look, uh, uh, Josh Allen can't beat you if he's not on the field. Right. Ball control, convert on third down. Pittsburgh has been dominating time of possession the last three games. I mean, Baltimore, they didn't have the ball in the first half. I mean, Baltimore ran. How many plays did Baltimore run in the first half? And 15, if that. I mean, they, they, they kind of got things some late in that late drive where they, you know, tried to, you know, Pittsburgh was kind of playing more of a relaxed, prevent defense. But I think Baltimore had the ball maybe 15 plays in the first half of this game. Let's see how close you are on that. I mean, you had the fumble, I think, in there from Robinson that that took away that drive. Um, I think that was the first half. So, I mean, my charting was very short in the first half. I, I just remember, you know, doing that, realizing, okay, these drives are three and out and fumbles, two plays in, that kind of stuff. Yeah, twenty what? Uh, twenty two plays in the first half. Yeah, yeah, a small number. Um, and I'll, also, just one note for the defense. Kyron Johnson picked up a snap in this game. The the (laughs) final snap of the game, which ended in a sack. That means Pittsburgh has played 33 people on defense this year. Not the record. They played 34 in 2021, but they played 33 people on defense this year and still found ways to win down the stretch. And that just, again, speaks to the full team effort. We had 33 guys pick up at least one defensive snap. And so injuries and just everything kind of went crazy this year but you found a way to still win games. I would like to see your Chiron Johnson and raise you a Spencer Anderson on the <laughs> offensive side of footballs. Uh, Spencer got one snap uh, in this game. And quite honestly, he's got two on the year. And this was his first really true offensive lineman uh, snap because he came in and played right guard in, in for James Daniels on the final kneel down. Uh, why of, did he, why did he, Daniels not go in? Do you think? Is he okay? Uh, he okay? I, I just think they get him out of there. Yeah. Uh, okay. and maybe to get Anderson, uh, I don't know. Uh, this snap went a lot better than his other one, right? Cause that one was a whole disaster against Baltimore. Remember that was a tackle eligible, right? Yeah. But they got flagged or something and mm-hmm. they screwed the whole thing up there. So this one went a lot smoother. Right. So, uh, there we go. Some, uh, what about some stats of the weird from this one? Oh, man, that's a good good point there. Uh, T.J. Watt, this one, less weird. It's kind of been talked about a lot, but T.J. Watt, NFL sack leader, 19 of them, third time in his career. He's led the NFL in sacks, the first player in official league history. I'm going to get really uh, uh, smarmy about this. Deacon Jones unofficially did so five times leading the NFL in sacks, but since sacks became official in 1982, T.J. Watt, the first to lead the league in three separate seasons. What else do I have here? Uh, Deontay Johnson from 2021 to 2023 once went 113 straight catches without a touchdown. He has four touchdowns in his last 21 receptions. So just kind of how football works. Uh, What else do we have here? My favorite one I did not mention yet is that Pittsburgh this year, Dave, went nine and two in one score games, nine and two in one possession games. Since Mike Tomlin was hired, they are 98, 61, and two in one possession games. That's the most games, the most victories, and the best winning percentage in such games in 
the NFL. So yet again, Pittsburgh finding a way to win it close like they do every single season under Mike Tomlin. Objectively, where do you come in on defensive player of the year? I just have a really sinking feeling it's still going to go to Miles Garrett. I mean, I, 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 think I don't. You don't? I don't. Do you think it's going to go to TJ Watt then? I think it's going to go to TJ Watt because it I don't. Should. Some of those, I, I, I don't. I think, uh, I think us nerds like to bring in pressure rates and all like that. And, but I think at its core, some of these vet sports writers will just go to the, uh, the stats that count. Yeah. My concern is less about somebody looking up a PFF grade and using that to dictate. But I think throughout the season, the narrative has been miles Garrett's the best defensive player in football. The Browns have had a really good defense this year and they're in the playoffs and with all the injuries they've had offensively, you know, that that's my thought of where Garrett's going to get the nod in terms of the perception of it all. Just, okay. He's the the best defensive player on a really good defense and he did have a good season. So he is a very good player. Well, I'm not, I'm not taking anything. I mean, he, he, he's, he's a hard, he's a very tough guy to defend for sure. Sure. Phenomenal player. Now he he had, he's only had what one sack since week 12 and did not play in the finale here, had 14 sacks on the season. That's not even top five in the NFL. So we'll see. Should it go to TJ Watt? Absolutely. Will it? I'm still cynical about that happening. It's one of the two though, right? Yeah. I mean, you got Michael Parsons. I don't think Parsons has had enough buzz to do it. I mean, I think guys like Roquan Smith and Fred Warner should get more consideration than they ultimately will but I do think it's either going to be Watt or Garrett. I mean, Deron Bland had another interception, but he's been burned at times. I don't think mm-hmm. he's just known enough to to get that kind of recognition. So short answer, yeah, I think it's either going to be Watt or Garrett. All right, we got a couple of weeks. Uh, the odds have really closed between it, where uh, it, 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 uh, betters are thinking it's going to be Garrett or Watt. Who is Garrett still taking to the front runner right now? I think now, so, right? yeah whatever it's not worth much and this max crosby as well i do want to shout out max crosby he's a fantastic player um all right dave what am i missing up uh, playoff for your overall afc playoff impressions you got baltimore the one seed buffalo and pittsburgh two and seven it's a kansas city and miami i think right three and yeah six. Here, here, here's a read off here baltimore your one seed buffalo your two seed kansas city your three seed kudos to the houston texans for turning mm-hmm. that thing around uh there boy what it, what what a young quarterback can do and uh man uh stroud uh very impressive uh uh they've they've, they've got something there cleveland uh houston's the four seed cleveland's the five seed miami the six seed and obviously the Steelers, the seventh seed there, uh, you know, when Baltimore clicks, uh, specifically on the offensive side of ball, they're tough. Very, very tough. Uh, Lamar Jackson can really, he's so hard to defend, uh, outside of that, uh, as we have, as I tweeted throughout the season, kept asking not only myself, but, uh, uh, everybody who will listen, uh, who, who, who is the who is the best team in the AFC, maybe outside of Baltimore? Some will say it's Buffalo. They've won five in a row. They have not lost, Dave, since November 26th. It's the last time Buffalo lost the game. And, and it's it. the other kind of thought, I'm, I'm kind of I'm sidestepping your question and going, going on, a, on a rabbit hole here, but these two teams in some respects are very similar. Buffalo at one point was six and six. They fired their OC. 
and it felt like they were done for. And then they rattled off five straight wins to go 11 and six, capture the two seed. Pittsburgh, they were seven and four. They dropped to seven and seven. They fired their OC prior to that, but they had fired their OC at, at one point midseason and then won three straight to get in, get in the playoffs on the final day of the season. And then now, now they're facing Buffalo. So they're not obviously 100% the same type of team, quarterback, offensive explosion, that kind of stuff are, are different. But I just think the overall pass they have taken is interesting. Then, of course, the head coaches were college teammates at William & Mary and Mike Tomlin and Sean McDermott. So a lot of funky-looking parallels between these two teams. All right. But in terms of the question of the best team, I mean, besides Baltimore, I think Buffalo could be argued. But I think to your actual point, it's it's pretty wide open right now. I was going to pass along if it's updated here real quick. uh, Some adjusted... Net yards. Let me see if it's updated yet. Here, if I have, all, all I know is I, you know, uh, the Steelers got very. There's, I think, there's still negative adjusted net yards for passing uh, attempt differential, but uh, it obviously the gaps closed a little bit that they're in that that you know if you're under, if you're within like uh, half of uh, like 0.5 uh, type situation. Uh, Teams have made the playoffs before in that situation, and they obviously did in that. I don't have the updated. Uh, I think what did I have here? I thought it was like five point something on offense, and in other words, it's close. I mean, the, the with, with Mason Rudolph doing what he did in the final three weeks, uh, uh, obviously increased the offensive adjusted net yards for passing attempt uh, number for the uh, for the Steelers and got them. You know, obviously close enough to 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 get into the playoffs. Mason Rudolph, we presume at least a playoff starting quarterback. What a a month ago had you said that Mason Rudolph would be starting a playoff game for the Pittsburgh Steelers, you would have said you're insane. You know, did everybody get hurt? But but here we are, and and kudos to to Rudolph. And listen, he's made a bunch of money so far. If he can pull off the upset against Buffalo, I mean, the price of his his contract is going to go up tenfold. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I don't have the ending numbers here. I didn't pull them this morning. Shame on me. All right. Well, you want to get to some emails here? Yeah, let's get to some reader emails and close out today's show. All right. I already hit the Fred one that wanted me to open up with uh, Jim Moore's playoffs. So consider that one uh, there. Caleb writes in, good morning from Fort Myers, Florida, with no true strong safety uh, set for this team next year. Could you see a possible return uh, with Terrell Edmonds? Also, are we at the end of Cam's career? And if so, how high do you take a defensive end in the draft? Uh, first and foremost, uh, props to Terrell Edmonds on his interception uh, in the game against the Jaguars. He now has six career interceptions. Three of them have come against the Jaguars. Uh, there. So he's got, uh, uh, he something against the Jaguars there. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, if, if, if Terrell Edmonds, uh, uh, here's the thing. If Terrell Edmonds comes back to Pittsburgh, it's going to be on a minimum, uh, 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 uh salary deal. And it will be to compete for a, uh, uh, roster spot there. The good thing about Terrell Edmonds, one of the Things feathers in his cap throughout his career uh, is that his 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 availability is his best ability, right? 
And he's still pretty young. He was young coming right. out of Virginia Tech. I don't know exactly how old he is, but maybe mid to, to later 20s. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a name. You can find a lot of guys that can wear that strong safety type of hat. So, you know, they, I don't want to call it dime a dozen, but it's not, most, not the most difficult role to fill. But but there's a, there's an opening there for sure. And Eric Rowe may come back and, you know, he's older and not, not guaranteeing anything. But uh, and, and I think this team has to get faster defensively and Rowe's not going to provide that. But, you know, I, I get it with the Edmund suggestion. So we'll see. Long story short, would you be floored if Terrell Edmonds signed a uh, veteran benefit contract with the Steelers during the offseason to compete for a spot? No, not at all. Right. I, that That's where I'm at, and I think that's where the discussion ends uh, with him. As far as Cam's career, uh, we'll see. Uh, uh, Cam talked, uh, what, after that last game, saying not going to make a decision until he rests up and, and, and all like that. Regardless, uh, I, uh, when you look at, regardless of what happens with Cam, and they may or may not have to do something. I know there was, a, uh, uh, who was it, Dulac? That mm-hmm. had a report about he's going to have to uh, trim his contract. I mean, you are you really going to go to Cam and say take a five million dollar pay cut and 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 let us give you either the Roethlisberger void year extension or a extension similar to what Heath Miller and Troy Palomalo got at the at the end there, where you know you're just moving moving money around so to speak, uh, or or are you going to flat out tell cam that you have to take a $5 million pay cut. If you want to stay, uh, I'm not ready to go there yet, but, uh, it is a, because of his cap number and bonus proration makes his cap number a little bit higher there. Uh, it will be, there are things that you plain and simple. There are things that you can do there, uh, with his contract. Uh, I can't foresee him taking more than a $5 million pay cut. Right? Could you? I don't see him taking a pay cut, period. I think you can try to restructure that deal, rework right. that deal somehow. I just don't think you go to Cam and say, you know, to take a pay cut, especially with a guy that, you know, may, may be thinking about retiring. And in so many words, that's what I wrote up the other day, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, now, you could do something. You could give him, you know, uh, you know, a, a flat out two year extension and uh, leave it basic where, where it's easier to cut him or let him retire after the 2024 season, you can do things to get that cap number down and perhaps they will to some extent, but it, it, it is hard to imagine him taking a, a flat out pay cut in, in, in 2024. I know they probably won't, but this is where the voidable year type extension comes into play. Right. Because they did that with Roethlisberger, right? He took a $5 right. million pay cut. They added on to four voidable years to drop that uh, cap charge significantly there. So it, it we'll see, um, but I, I think regardless, and I still think right. he's got a chance to re- come back next year. They got to find some right. replacement. That I think you have to draft that a year early. You know, Kim Hayward got drafted early to help replace the eventual, uh, you know, leaving of Brett Kiesel and Aaron Smith and those guys. They had the foresight to do that, you know, early on. And I know that times have changed. Rookies play much quicker than sitting on the bench for two years like Cam did, but uh, you can't lose Cam and then and then one offseason say, okay, let's go find the next Cam. You know, just. Right. To, too quick, too messy, not going to work well. So I think regardless, it's got to be high on the list, higher than people probably are even thinking about right now. Right. And that's where I was going with my regardless uh, uh, mm-hmm. leading to there was the fact that uh, regardless of what happens with Cam and when you take in, 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 in into account 
what's happened with DeMarvin Leal or what's not happened yeah. with uh, DeMarvin Leal this year. And you look at uh, uh, Armand Watts, Loudermilk, uh, who else is it? Uh, uh, Montravius Adams in that room. Uh, you know, Larry Ogan, Joby up there in age. You, it feels like unless you go out and spend some money on a, on a free agent, uh, you absolutely have to address this thing with a, with a defensive, uh, lineman. And a pretty high pick. You can't do the right. fourth, fifth rounder and expect that to, to do anything for you. You got to invest something significantly. Um, so, you know, we'll see down the road for that. Um, I'm really happy Cam's in the playoff, a chance for him to win a playoff game. I mean, he's one and six in his career, not his fault. You know, obviously that's a, that's a team stat, but you know, for him to at least, if this is the end, have one last playoff run, a chance to get a win. It's been a long time since that happened. So I'm happy for Cam personally. All right. Thanks, Caleb. Uh, Matthew writes in, uh, Alex, please enlighten us on what you found about the aliens in Miami. Uh, side note, very much looking forward to tracking the Bills injury situation this week, as well as the game day weather. Thanks for all you guys do. Yeah, Matt, we are, we are too. Uh, uh, Alan, uh, Alex, any update? I almost call you, uh, Alan, uh, because I'm working <laughs> an uh, alien here. Any update on the a- aliens in Miami, Alex? Yeah, I mean, I was hamming it up a bit on the podcast. It was all, it, it's not, obviously not true. Um, it'd be a much bigger story if it was. I think it's just, you know, internet running with some one grainy video. But we're going to keep watching, Dave. We're going to keep looking for these aliens. Maybe they can play some, can they rush the passer? Can, mm. They can rush the passer. Maybe a nine foot tall alien can bend the edge. Uh, they're going to be playing out there Sunday. Do they have the, do they have that, uh, that, 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 that classic uh, four I five uh, tech build? You know? mm, that's a Kim Hayward replacement, a nine foot tall alien. You put him out there as three tech and, and let yeah, him. Yeah, but he can't run. be one of those skinny ones, though. He's got to be yeah. at least 290, 90, ideally 200 or 302 pounds, I think. Right. right. Isn't, that, isn't that what the measurables say there? So that would be <laughs> quite, that would be a, uh, that would be a load there uh, on defense line. Probably put them on the field goal block team as <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah. There you go. All right. Uh, you go. But we'll look at the Bills injury situation. I think Gabe Davis is one of the huge names to watch, right? Yeah. With that knee, I don't know his status. He left midway through. Didn't look great, but I just, I, I don't think you said McDermott offered no update post game. Right. Right. Davis, nothing, right? nothing post game. There was really nothing of substance in that post game of his. Okay. All right. Uh, Larry writes in, he's from Cary, North Carolina. As we enter the postseason, what are the rules for practice squad caller? This is another, mm. another thing. Uh, I, I thought we hit it. Maybe we didn't. I know you hit it on Twitter. Uh, and I, I think we've talked about it, but uh, are miles, Jack and Eric Rose still eligible uh, or do we, need to make room for them on a 53 man roster. If they do need to be signed, who do you see them displacing? Uh, how do you see either plays players future with the team beyond this postseason run? So two core questions there. Tell the people about the practice squad rules and second, uh, the future about those two players past the season. Sure. Short answer. No, uh, there is no elevation restriction or, or number for the playoffs. You can elevate those players as, as many times as, as needed. Still only, I think two can be elevated for a game, but you know, just because that Jack and Rowe have used their three for the regular season, you wipe that slate clean for the postseason. There is no limit. So they will not have to be signed to the 53. They can be elevated from the practice squad on Saturday, the way that they had been uh, leading up to game day the past three uh, games. So, so no, no roster spot will be needed for those guys to, to dress and play against the bills, their future, you know, we'll see. They are 30 years old. They, they're off the street. They, they played well. They've had a big role for Pittsburgh. Are they long-term fixtures? No, 
I think I could see maybe Rowe having a better chance of coming back than Miles Jack, but um, I hadn't thought about it too much right now. You're talking minimum value guys at its core, and that's, you know, look, once again, both of them have have had their hand in the pile. Mike Tomlin make sure, you know, off the couch guys and all like that, but at the core, that's what they are right now, and if, if either did want to come back, uh, I say it a hundred times a year on this podcast. Anybody who wants to sign a veteran benefit contract, come on down. Uh, but that that's the way uh, I, I envision both those guys returning if they return. Fair point. But again, they can be elevated and they will be elevated for the Bills game without having to be added to the 53-man roster. And if they beat uh, if they beat Buffalo and they go to Baltimore the following week, we know that will be the case. If they beat Buffalo, they can be elevated again throughout the entire postseason. I uh, had another new name in here. I like seeing these new names in the uh, in the email machine. This one from a David Lenz writes in, uh, really curious about this question. He says, is it possible that most or all of the teams in the AFC North just blew past the previous NFL record for games against teams with winning records? He says, by my count, here are the number of games by each AFC North team against winning records. Ravens and Bengals, 14. Steelers 13, Browns 12, which means that out of a total of 68 games played by AFC North teams, 53 were played against teams with winning records. Just wondering if you could confirm if the Bengals, if the Ravens, Bengals, and maybe the Steelers are uh, the Steelers as well, just eclipse the previous record for this. Not going to be able to do it in this show, David. Uh, do you get the gist of what he's asking there? I do. I Did he say what the previous record was? I don't know what the previous record or any of those numbers even are in terms of what the, the greatest number of games. I, I don't know. He are. says, by my count, here are the number of games by each AFC North team against winning records. And he's got Ravens and Bengals for it. Sure. Goes, goes no, I get that. But what's the record? I don't know what, what the previous uh, mark was. Uh, yeah, I, he doesn't that. have that in here. I mean, I, I will say, I think the stats that's been out there is the entire AFC North was above 500. And so that number is influenced by how they all finished together. But the first division that, that all went above 500 for the first time since like 1935, something insane like that. So and Pittsburgh went five and one against the AFC North, which is a you know really remarkable stat overall. So really weird. They, they went five and one against the statistically the best division in football in like 90 years. And they finished third in the AFC North. Just, just go figure there. So in terms of the records, I don't know, but obviously a very competitive division. It's one reason why that number is what it is. All right. Here's something else. Uh, interesting stat when it comes to uh, strength of victory wins this year, the Steelers 0.571. Uh the only team to have a better strength of victory wins this year was the Cardinals, uh, 0.588. Okay. Not sure what to make of that, but interesting. Just just a number, yeah, just a number stat. to throw out there. Fred Folsom writes, oh, no, I already got Fred and the playoffs thing there. Dan Devlin writes in, hello again. I forgot to ask uh, rules re- uh, question regarding Raven's final field goal attempt. Oh, real quick, uh, and it's buried in my email here. Someone asked, uh, on the Deontay Johnson touchdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, was asked if I think Deontay fault started, and I went and looked at it, 
there's a little lean in there, but I don't think it's egregious enough. Uh, in other words, did 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 you? I, I didn't pass that along. I didn't. To you. I didn't uh, pick up on it. Uh, but uh, something to look at. Uh, someone pointed out that did the Steelers get a break because of kind of Deontay kind of moving a little bit. There is a slight little lean there, but I, I didn't. If he wouldn't have brought it up, I'm not sure I would have noticed it, especially when we get to the all 22 uh, there. We'll see. But I, I just want to make sure I bring that up. Uh, something for you to look at here. Okay. Uh, uh, Dan writes in. Hello again. I forgot to ask a rules question, question regarding. Uh, the Ravens' final field goal uh, attempt. Uh, as the field goal team was setting up, the Steelers called a timeout with about 15 seconds left. I thought the field goal attempt would be considered offense, and with the offense substituting, should the Steelers have been allowed to match substitutes? It did not matter, but I was curious. This may have actually run out the clock. My plan was to only ask about Godwin Iguabuque, any rules related to questions may, but he may be busy this week. So I'm relying on you fellas. So I think we cleared up the Godwin thing, uh, Dan, earlier in the show there, why specifically that was allowed on that, on that kickoff there. I don't, you get what he's trying to ask here with the final field goal attempt as the field goal team was setting up the Steelers called timeout with about 15 seconds left. I thought the field goal attempt would be considered offense and with the offense substituting should the Steelers have been allowed to match substitutes. I'd have to go back and watch it. I'm not entirely sure what he means. I, he's saying Pittsburgh called a timeout because the Ravens were putting their field goal unit on the field and Pittsburgh felt like they weren't able to match that quickly enough. And so they had to burn a timeout because of it. I think it. that's where he's going. Okay. I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and, and watch it to, to refresh my memory of how all that went down. Um, yeah. I don't know the exact, I mean, I imagine if you're substituting like that, as, as the reader's referencing the defense, you know, gets a chance to match that. So I imagine that they would, but I don't know for sure on the ruling. And I don't remember the exact situation that you're referring yeah, to. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to recall a situation in my head and I can't uh, there. So maybe that maybe something else for you to look for us to look into there. Tyler Armis writes in defensive back room, all hell King Henry. He says Steelers just clinched right before sending this email. So this question may be answered by the time you read it or at some point earlier in the podcast, but with Minka coming back, Casey set to return from suspension and Roe playing such good ball right now. How do you see the uh, DB rotation working out right now? Pat Pete obviously has, has to give up the safety spot with his poor showing of tackling, but does he come off the field? Uh, uh, kick Wallace off question mark. It feels like Wallace has been playing well, he says, because we haven't heard his name much, but uh, maybe the, your tape study says otherwise. Regardless, I'm happy uh, to be talking playoffs and thankful for you guys. It'll be my first postseason with you guys, and let's hope it's a fun one. Uh, thank you, Tyler. Uh, uh, we talked to you obviously earlier in the show about defensive back room. What's, uh, what's going to happen there? Uh, Pat, you know, Pat, Pete, safety, what's all going to happen there? Yeah, again, I'm not 100% sure. It could go a couple different ways. If Gabe Davis were to play, you're worried about if he's on the outside. Peterson is against that speed. That's not a good matchup. I mean, Levi Wallace is not – he's played – he's been okay the last couple of weeks. I'm still nervous about about that you know, particular matchup. I imagine that in some of these third downs, you're going to have Minka down on the tight ends, on Kincaid, on Knox, something like that, which will open up the spot for Peterson to play free safety again. So 
I, I, I'm again, I'm not entirely sure how this will look, but there's going to be some more mixing and matching. I think you'll see Peterson play in the slot some or do some of Sullivan snaps a little bit. Um, that's probably going to be part of it. I, I don't know how much outside time he'll see. It, it could be some, but I think you're going to see some, some rotating, some movement, Peterson wearing more hats. And I do think in those third down, obvious pass situations, you're going to have Minka shadowing probably Kincaid or Knox the way that he would take on a Mark Andrews, you know, playing kind of that slot role where Peterson can then become a free safety again. Rowe and Casey. In terms of you, what are you asking? What are you I getting? Mean, well, well, uh, Rowe's going to be active. Yeah, right? I think Casey. I think Casey will be too because Casey, I think, will be the dime because Miles Killebrew has been the dime backer essentially the last couple of weeks and he's played pretty well. But I think they're going to put Casey out there instead. All right, now they've had two safeties inactive the last several weeks because of numbers and all. Now, if Blake Martinez, he's been an inactive too, uh, the uh, linebacker and not played. He 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 might go off the roster here, uh, but still, you there's probably yeah. still going to be a safety that's not going to going to dress, and I would well, imagine that might right. I mean, you've had your outside linebackers dress, and then if Watt is hurt and does not play, that's that's an inactive spot there. Right. And then maybe Thompson could be the other, and so it may be Thompson and Watt to kind of take those inactive hats. Let's do a quick exercise here: Trubisky inactive. Mm-hmm. Dylan right. Cook inactive. Yes. Uh, Watt likely inactive. Yeah, we'll pencil him in for now. Uh, Rush likely inactive. Yes. That's four. Leal likely inactive. Mm-hmm. That's five. Yep. Let's assume anybody else besides Thompson. I was going to go to Thompson next. Yeah, I was going to go to Thompson next as well, too. feels like he almost has to if you're going to put uh, Casey back mm-hmm. in uniform. Yeah, and let's assume Martinez gets released to bring Casey onto the roster, so Martinez obviously cannot be inactive. Right, so it comes down to the seventh inactive there. It's A probably not Chiron. going to be an offensive player. Probably won't be Kyron Johnson. I mean, you're going to be thin. Golden can't play special teams. You might want Johnson because you need somebody. You got to dress Riley, right? For special teams. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's fair. Yeah. So, and Kyron, you're going to need for special teams. Rodney Williams, a tight end. You need him. He's playing a lot of special teams. Has Has he been playing a lot? I think so. Yeah, I, I, he's played, you know, at least a couple of phases. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it, it becomes dicier for sure. That he last played spot. twenty-two yeah. special team snaps against the the uh, the Ravens. Uh, it feels like it's got to be another safety, Alex. Unless maybe you sit uh, 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 Levi Wallace down. No, you're not going to do that. I mean, he doesn't give you anything on on special teams. Yeah, you lose a corner though. Right, you're in you're in a lot of trouble. I mean, how many special teams snaps did, did did Riley play? Nineteen. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, Dave. I mean, I'm gonna let you handle that for the inactive post and uh, see what it's you not, come up It's with. not going to be Sullivan, uh, Chandon Sullivan, obviously. It just looking at this thing and and ass- and that that assumes uh, Casey. I mean, Thompson almost has to be inactive. It sounds mm-hmm. like it sounds uh, like there. It. Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what, uh, what, what, what that final inactive looks like, at least based on what we know right now. Unless you sat Michael Walker down. We debated that last week. He obviously got the hat and he, he rotated. And they no no special team playing. snaps against the Ravens. Yeah. I mean, if Robert's not the week healthier for him, if you can play him more, I don't know. 
Um, we'll see. Good question. All right. Uh, let's see if we can get one more in here for the folks. How about okay. Jeff? Jeff Kinney writes in, keep up the great work, guys. Has the pump fake by a quarterback been outlawed? I don't believe I've seen one all year from the Steelers quarterbacks. Ben used to set up the double moves for his receivers and, and drive uh, DBs and pass rushers crazy with that play. Even if your hands are too small, a simple shoulder shrug uh, should do the trick, especially with corners now jumping to back shoulder throws. I know pass protection has been sketchy, and I'm definitely not advocating for holding the ball line longer, but uh, the quarterback can help turn 50-50 balls into touchdowns with a simple shrug. All right, point point taken. It's not something you're going to see 5, 6, 10, 12 times a game, uh, but point taken. Yeah, you can set, especially some of those scene throws, you know, uh, you could you probably use that and in, in obviously in some double move type situations on the outside, but uh, uh, I think that's the least of the Steelers' concern with the pump fake uh, heading into this weekend. Yeah, and Ben, it was just so just unique in that ability to, you know, everyone, even he probably thought he was throwing the football half the mm. time when he just, half of the time wasn't even a pump fake, but it was just him deciding mid, you know, holding throw. the ball through a fall through. <laughs> yeah. Then, okay. I just, you know, it's last second decision to not throw the football, not even like an intentional plan, uh, play fake. So, you know, Ben's size and just that, that backyard mentality was something you just don't see that often. All right. Uh, good show, Alex. I got through a lot of emails there. Thank you for everybody who sent them in. We will be back on Wednesday to start getting, uh, we'll get into the all 22 a little bit from the Ravens to see if anything jumps out there. Obviously start, uh, we'll review what Mike Tomlin had to say on Tuesday, start previewing uh, the Bills game. It is exciting to be uh, covering uh, the playoffs again and uh, we'll we'll continue to do that uh, the rest of this week on the site and on the podcast. So and we'll the, have a live stream tonight oh, okay, at good 7 p.m. Eastern time. Dave and I answering your Steelers questions, getting ready for this playoff game. All right. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter slash X at Steelers Depot. Follow Alex at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, the Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, SteelersDepot.com. Hit the donate button. Upper right, navigational bar. Also, if you'd like an ad free version of the site, you can find that on SteelersDepot.com by clicking the ad free button in the navigational bar, either on the mobile app or on the web platform. So until Wednesday, great show, Alex. Enjoyed it. As always, thanks for listening to the terrible podcast with Dave and Alex.